Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Stephen from Neverline, a financial planning and investment management services firm in Los Angeles or LA. Stephen is another one of my friends whom I've met at FinCon last year. He's a well-spoken certified financial planner and helps his client to cover their financial planning needs by advising them on investing their money, providing financial advice, and tax and estate planning, among others. He mainly works with high-income entrepreneurs or independent contractors in the entertainment industry in the Los Angeles area. Some have been saving and investing for many years. Uh, yeah, long before I was born, for example, I'm in my late 30s. And some of his clients are just getting started on their personal finance journey. We will discuss a few lessons learned based on Steven's experience with his clients and see how we can apply these even though we do not make millions. We will cover Steven's approach to investing in equities slash stocks, how the rich invest, in what specific assets they do invest, why it's important to plan your taxes well, and between brackets, do the rich use all the tax loopholes in the book? We will explore that topic as well. And finally, we will discuss how to build a positive money mindset. This episode is for you if you're curious about how the rich manage their money, and more importantly, what their money mindset is and how you can develop that positive mindset as well, regardless of your current situation. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, awesome to have you, uh, Stephen. Uh, I met Stephen at uh, FinCon already like, what, six months ago? And then, uh, yeah, was, uh, we had uh, some great conversations. And Stephen is actually a certified financial planner, and he works at the Wealth, uh, sorry, at the Navaline Wealth Partners in LA. So, uh, Stephen, what are you doing at uh, Navaline? Yeah, well, uh, my partners and I, we started Navaline Wealth Partners uh, really so that we could be a resource for our clients. We help them with everything from their financial planning needs to investing their money, retirement accounts, trust accounts. You know, we provide all types of financial advice. So whether it has to do with their estate planning, their tax planning, uh, I mean, if, if our clients have questions and it has to do with their financial life, we're going to make sure that they're making smart decisions with their money. Yeah, that's very good. And uh, who are your, your clients? Is that the, the everyday people or like people with earning a certain level of income? You know, I, we work as a firm. We work with a, a pretty diverse group of clientele. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, in my practice, I, I work a lot with clients in the entertainment industry. A lot of my clients are entrepreneurs. The common theme for me and really our business is that most of our clients are small business owners or independent contractors. Uh, you know, some of my clients are just getting started on their financial journey. Others have been, you know, saving and investing for many, many years. Uh, they're older, Jonathan, than you and me put together. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're here to help clients that really value the advice of and, and really saving the time and the stress by working with a professional like us. Okay. And, and for example, you're talking about stress and, uh, 
yeah, there's this uh, virus going around uh, lately, and uh, I don't know what it, what will be the situation at the time of uh, airing the show. But uh, uh, has that had a big impact on, on your clients? Uh, for example, did you have many phone calls or consultation or people in a panic maybe due to the market drops? Well, that's uh, again a big reason why we're here for them as a resource. Mm-hmm. We definitely had some clients that called in, sent us emails, a little bit concerned. More so, they just want to hear from us and our perspective. Generally speaking, uh, you know, we're not that concerned. We're, we're thinking that this coronavirus issue, while it is going to have an impact on the economy in the short term, you know, long term, if you look, you know, years, several years out, this isn't the first time we've seen anything like this, right? We had Ebola, we had SARS, uh, we've had other epidemics and financial issues over the time in the markets. Uh, and you know what? We also had a lot of clients that called in, Jonathan, and said, hey, you know, do you think this is a good time to put more money to work? Should I, in- should I be investing more money? And uh, we've been having some great conversations about that. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. And um, for example, what, what did you do yourself? I mean, I don't know if you own uh, personally uh, stocks and, uh, or invested in stock markets. So did you as well follow the same advice uh, as what you give to your clients? Certainly. We, we always do exactly the same types of things that we tell our clients to do. I mean, at the end of the day, if it's not good enough for me, if it's not good enough for my family and my friends, then I would never give that advice to my clients. So in a situation like this, when you see a lot of market volatility, and that, by the way, right, that's when the market's going up a lot or down a lot, that's volatility. So when you are in times of volatility, usually what you want to do is not make irrational or quick decisions. You don't want to react. So in a situation like this, it doesn't necessarily make sense to all of a sudden pull your money out and be on the sidelines. At the same time, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense either to just pile into the market and you know hope that you're buying the dip at the, wrong, at the right time. For all we know, the market could go down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The key here is keeping a steady and a disciplined approach to your investments and probably investing over time doing something that's called dollar cost averaging. So putting a little bit of money in time and time again, very consistently, rather than just plopping it all down today and hoping that everything goes well. Yeah, that's very good. And uh, actually that's uh, kind of what I've been doing as well. I mean, okay, this um, coronavirus arrived and okay, the market uh, tanked, you know, like on average uh, 4% a day and then, okay, maybe a bit less in the last days. Yeah, I've been doing nothing basically. I mean, okay, I've been... The common advice is not to look at it every day, but okay, with all the news around, okay, I had to look, uh, let's be honest. Uh, but yeah, actually, <laughs> I didn't do anything. I, uh, I just let it go and I'm like, okay, it's uh, it's temporary, but you know, every month I put a little bit in in, uh, in my stock portfolio and then I just let it go. And as you say, I just ride the wave and I con- continue just euro cost average, so to speak. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing, and you know, I'm in it for the long haul in the end. So uh, I think that's what everybody, how everybody should think, and uh, this panic bursts, uh, yeah, should not affect your decision to invest in uh, high performing companies. Yeah, I think that's great, right? In the first place, why did you invest in those companies, right? I'm going to guess you didn't invest in them uh, because you thought it was going to be a good idea for the next month or two. It's because you thought these would be companies and services and products that consumers and people around the world are going to use for many, many years to come. So you have to keep a long-term perspective. Yeah, very good. And okay, we're talking about the stock markets, etc. And um, 
just wondering about your, your clients to go back to the wealth management, managing and wealth advice. What type of investments are they following or what type of investments are you advising, Stephen? Is that only stocks and real estate and some classic ones or are there several other options uh, that they have access to? Yeah, I mean, we advise on all types of investments. So traditionally, in terms of what we're managing directly for our clients, yeah, we're buying into different stocks, exchange traded funds, mutual funds, bonds. Uh, we do have portfolio managers in-house at our firm, chartered financial analysts. So some pretty smart guys on our team. Uh, so, you know, we are putting together diversified portfolios that are customized for each of our clients. We're not going to put together some, you know, cookie cutter portfolio and just expect that's going to be the right call for everybody. Because at the end of the day, the way that you invest your money, I invest my money and everyone else invests really should be specific to what their timeline is what their goals are, how comfortable they are with risk. Uh, you know, we do advise on, like I said, all types of investments. So some of our clients, uh, they invest quite a bit in real estate, whether it's commercial or industrial real estate or multifamily real estate. Uh, we're not the ones managing it for them, but we certainly are helping them, you know, looking at the return on investment, looking at the balance sheet, figuring out if it's a good deal or not. We also, we also have some clients that invest in, early seed funding, so series A, B, and C rounds for startup companies. But, you know, again, that's, that's not something that the majority of our clients do. That's typically these types of investments are things that folks with, you know, a little bit of extra money, excess uh, income, and, you know, have a higher risk tolerance. So if those companies don't do well, those startups don't do well, it's not as big of an impact to their financial lives if they lose that money. Yeah, I see. So it's quite a wide uh, range of um, of products. And then, then, for example, commercial real estate, to me, that sounds like, yeah, okay, you need to have quite some money on the side or is that accessible to real estate, sorry, to retail investors? It can be if you're, you know, if you're investing on your own or with some friends and you're actually buying a building. I mean, look, I'm in Los Angeles, California, so things are pretty expensive around this part of town. Um, I mean, you can't even get into any sort of a multifamily or a commercial property for, you know, less than a million or a couple million dollars. And not everybody has that kind of capital. So a great way that I think just about anybody can get access to real estate and quality real estate investing is through the purchase of uh, what's called a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Yeah. There's a lot of publicly traded REITs that you can find um, offered by a lot of the big asset managers like BlackRock or Vanguard, or Fidelity, and, and the list goes on. So I think that's a really great way to get exposure in your portfolio to real estate, a diversified exposure, by the way, but maybe not having the amount of capital to actually buy your own building or your own portfolio of buildings. Yeah, and, and I like those because as well, there's many in American good ones like Reality Corporation, I think, and uh, LTC Properties and, and uh, whatnot. And the thing is, those companies, they, they are obliged to, to keep the, the REIT status to, have, um, to distribute a dividend. That's correct. Yeah. And then we have those as well uh, here in Europe. For example, in Belgium, there's a, there are companies in which I invest myself uh, just because so to be diversified and, uh, and also to support my local <laughs> markets. But it's more that, uh, yeah, it, it gives... Um, it gives this dividend, which is nice. And uh, okay, in Belgium, there's, uh, for example, Bifimo, Cofinimo, and uh, 
Edifica and there are some others. And for example, if you invest, at least in Belgium, in a company like Edifica, they, this, this company, it's a REIT due to their status because they invest in, uh, uh, how can you say that, uh, elderly uh, homes, oh, sorry, homes for the elderly, you get a little benefit on the on the tax. Uh, it's taxed less than a normal dividend. There are things to look out for. And yeah, I really loved REITs. It, it, it's a great way to diversify your uh, stock portfolio and as well get exposure to uh, to real estate as well, which then you don't need to to uh, partner up with a few buddies and buy a commercial uh, property. So that, that's great. That's right. Yeah. I wish uh, we had some of those tax breaks here in the States if we invested in those kinds of properties. It doesn't really exist over here like that. <laughs> yeah. I only read about it recently, actually, just in the in a magazine that I that I get from my father. And then it's like, oh, wow, that's good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not huge, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, all those small things add up, huh? you know, all the taxing, the, the any fees you can get away, any tax breaks. So it's uh, it all adds up in the long run. It's true. I mean, that's actually a big part of anybody's investment strategy, or it really should be, is thinking about taxes. So, you know, here in the US, there's different types of accounts. So whether you have a retirement account, or like an IRA or a 401k, or you have a non-retirement account, just an individual brokerage account, a joint account, a trust account, they're taxed differently. So you actually need to think a little bit about the types of investments that you hold inside of those accounts. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we're commonly doing for our clients when we design their portfolios is something called asset location. You know, you've probably heard of asset allocation, which is how much of a percentage of your portfolio is in certain types of asset classes, like we're talking about stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, other types of investments. That's asset allocation. But asset location is figuring out, you know, again, at least here in the States, when you're getting paid these dividends from these real estate funds, you're going to pay taxes on that every year. So if you have a way that you can get that into a retirement account and you can defer the taxes on that, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, there's other opportunities like we were just talking about the coronavirus. The market took a big hit over that past week. And I think a lot of people probably in their portfolio, at least in the short term, had some losses. Well, if you have a taxable account, so one of those individual or a joint or trust account, you can actually harvest those losses and participate in an exercise called tax loss harvesting. Um, Really simply put, that's when you're purposely selling things in your portfolio at a loss Mm -hmm. so that you can offset your gains, either future or current gains with those losses. So that's the type of stuff that we're doing for our clients, keeping an eye on both how we can be really tax efficient and how that factors into their entire investment plan. Mm -hmm. And talking about taxes, you know, there's this, uh, we, we talked about it uh, before you and I, uh, Stephen, but, you know, with taxes and rich or wealthy people, there's always this public or uh, the stigma around uh, those people that, oh yeah, the rich, yeah, they do everything to avoid taxes. They know all the loopholes. You know, what, what's going on there? Is it uh, is it true? I mean, do people, do rich people no more loopholes or do they abuse the system or what's going on? I mean, I can't speak for everybody and obviously (laughs) hear the stories in the, you know, in the news there, there certainly are unscrupulous people that do tax evasion. Tax evasion is illegal. Uh, We don't do that. Our clients definitely don't do that. But, you know, I think you're right. I think the, the, the media and just the public has this perception that, 
folks that are really wealthy, for whatever reason, just aren't paying that much in taxes. And I have to say that's definitely not true. I mean, mm-hmm. look, we have several clients that that make a really good living, right? They're earning in excess of a million dollars a year. And here in the US, if you're earning that kind of money, I mean, if you're earning more than a half a million dollars a year here in the US, you're probably in the highest tax bracket. So, you know, we have federal taxes. We also have state taxes. Again, I'm in Los Angeles, California. California happens to have one of the highest tax rates out of all of the states here in the US. So someone that's making that kind of money, half a million, a million or more dollars a year of income, they're probably paying close to 40, almost 50%, 50%, like seriously, across their entire tax situation. Not to mention, you know, if you're a business owner and you have employees, you also have to pay these payroll taxes, depending on the city you live in. You might be paying local taxes. You pay property taxes. I mean, I think that's a total farce that um, the really wealthy are not paying a lot in taxes. Now, again, there's certain strategies that you can implement, completely legal. I don't like calling it a loophole because it's not. It's, you know, you're, you're doing things that you're supposed to be doing, playing by the rules. Like we just talked about tax loss harvesting. Anybody can do that. You just have to spend the time and effort to figure it out. Uh, same thing with, you know, I, I think with a lot of folks. So, you know, I, I personally don't think that that's totally true in terms of, uh, you know, the wealthy not paying their fair share in taxes. I mean, you tell me, if you earned a million dollars, Jonathan, and you had to pay $500,000 worth of taxes, that sounds... you still made 500 grand. But yeah, that sounds, yeah, right. That sounds, that sounds like you ridiculous. paid a lot. Like, what the <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that I want, I, I'm happy to pay taxes uh, to contribute, but when you make a million or whatever it is, and then you need to pay half, it's a pain. It, it's a lot. <laughs> That's true. But look, there's other ways too. You know, again, with the way the tax system is set up in the United States, it's different when you're talking about income that you're earning from, let's say, your business or your job, than income that you earn from an investment. So, the good news is if you're an investor and you're investing in these stocks and bonds and you know different types of funds, you're going to be taxed at what's called capital gains tax rates here in the States. Mm-hmm. And that is significantly lower. I mean, if you're in the highest income tax bracket here in the US, your long-term capital gains rate is going to be around 20%. Um, if you're not in the highest tax brackets, uh, like most people are not, the vast majority of people are not, you're going to pay 15, one five percent in capital gains tax. So a big thing that happens there is if folks are smart, if you own your own business, um, and especially if it's set up the right way, and you have a lot of shareholders in your business, like you hear these stories of, you know, some of the big founders of these big tech companies that don't even take much of a salary. Well, that's actually a smart move. They don't need to take a salary. Instead, they're compensated through the stock in their company. Um, So look, these are people that might be making tens of millions of dollars a year, billions of dollars a year. And instead of paying income taxes, they're paying capital gains. So as a percentage, is it lower? Sure. But in terms of dollars, these people are spending millions and millions of dollars on taxes. In my opinion, they're they're definitely paying uh, their fair share of taxes. Yeah. And it's also a risk because, you know, if... uh I don't know if uh, our friend uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is uh, paid one dollar and the rest in shares, but you know if if there's a coronavirus again or any other market stocks, then it's a huge risk because then he could lose twenty percent of his uh, pay actually or of his wealth. Oh, easily, yeah. I saw a story in Bloomberg the uh, you know last week talking about how the world's richest people. I forgot exactly 
you know, what the threshold was. If it was the top, you know, 50 or top 100, but, you know, they had lost over, over like 300 or $400 billion um, over that week. That's, that's a lot of money to lose, but that's also because a lot of the world's most wealthy have a lot of their money invested in equities. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not defending anything or not anybody. It's more explaining how it works. And uh, uh, I think that's important to know because then, you know, like if I, for example, I have my uh, normal salary, if next month, whatever the amount, if next month it's a minus 30%, you know, it's a shock. <laughs> it's a, you know, it can be, I mean, I would not say it's not, it's difficult, but you know, it, it, it makes a big change. I mean, it can be, yeah, it's just a change and you know, you never know what's going to happen. So you, you need to be able to live with that. Right. Well, like you said, Jonathan, I mean, it, it is a risk and just like investing involves risk and, and with risk comes reward for those that are willing to take bigger risks. Correct. Um, they certainly can lose a lot more, but they also can gain a lot more. True. And Stephen, uh, just a question that uh, comes in. Your clients, do they also invest uh, next to real estate uh, and stocks, ETFs? Do they also invest in more exotic uh, ventures like, I don't know, uh, wine, cars, uh, art, uh, for example? Is that something that is more common with, with your clients? Uh, you know, not so much in terms of our clientele. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of them definitely have, you know, nice art, nice cars, um, they're wine aficionados, but you know, that's more of a passion and a personal preference than it really is them investing their money that way. You know, our clients are not necessarily the ultra wealthy that have, you know, hundred million dollar plus net worth. You know, typically our clients have, you know, a net worth somewhere around a million to 10 million or tens of millions of dollars that tends to be our clients. So certainly they have wealth and certainly they're doing just fine. But, you know, a lot of them don't feel, that's the, that's the interesting thing. A lot of them don't feel very wealthy. A lot of our clients, mm. you know, when you, when you see them on the street, you, you would have no clue, right? They're not, most of them at least, they're not driving around in a Rolls Royce. They're not, you know, buying all these fancy handbags and, and going on lavish vacations. And frankly, I think that's a big reason why they've become so wealthy because they have really good discipline with their saving and their spending habits. Oh yeah, I was going to ask actually uh what about their their mindset is that different than from the common man or is it yeah do they just yeah hold this discipline and go through life or do they think like uh, yeah I'm going to invest I'm going to make this or uh yeah or is it it's nice to flash my stuff I mean not it's nice to flash my stuff but <laughs> That you'll get a ticket for that. <laughs> I'm wealth. I'm wealthy. I can buy a. I can buy a Jaguar, or I can buy a, a. Yeah, I don't know whatever fancy car and have a big house, bigger house than my neighbor, for example. No, it's not their. Uh, it's not the way they approach things. Yeah, that's right. I mean, most of our clients, they're they're not doing stuff like that. So certainly, they have nice homes. Certainly, they drive you know pretty nice cars. But are they flashy and are they frivolous with their spending? Uh, no. And like I was saying earlier, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I didn't start my career here. It's it's taken me, you know, I'm, I'm about 10, uh, 12 years into building my business. And, and now with my partners growing our business quite a bit. So it took me a while to get here. But, you know, I, I learned pretty, pretty early on that sometimes a lot of folks that that have this wealth, have this money, they don't perceive it as if they're really, really rich. You, you would actually be surprised you know, some of my clients that have, you know, maybe not those with a ton of money, but, you know, those that have, you know, a few million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they have their house, their house is paid off. 
even they are concerned that they might not have enough money to last them through retirement. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, not to say that they should be otherwise just spending all their money and not have anything left, but I think that mindset, I don't want anyone to be scared or worried or stressed. You know, a big part of what we do is helping people through financial planning understand the effects, the long-term effects of the financial decisions that they're considering today. And I want my clients to be confident in their financial future. And I want them to be confident and happy with their financial decisions. I don't want them to be stressed out. So, you know, look, rarely did, did these folks or anybody become wealthy overnight, but it's like I always say, it's not how much money you make, it's how you save and how you spend it that's most important. And I, I think that a lot of our clients understand that and, you know, they take that to heart and that's how they show up in this world. They're not flashing their money. They're not spending it on, on you know, crazy frivolous things. They're spending it on the things that they value and the things that they enjoy most. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm still a bit surprised, you know, uh, you know and, and you're in Los Angeles. So, you know, I can imagine that people maybe in some neighborhoods, they like to flash uh, uh, nice stuff around. So, so where does that come from, this kind of uh, mentality of being concerned for the future? I mean, if you have one million or two millions or whatever, I mean, with that kind of amount, I would be comfortable. I mean, I would be, but okay, that's me. But is it something in the mindset or in, in where they come from? Maybe they, they came from, a, I mean, a modest uh, a home where they grew up in, or is it, could that explain this attitude? You know, I think that's a good point. I'd say most of our clients that have wealth have built that wealth themselves through their own businesses and their own hard work. So I think they really value you know, that dollar, and in your case, right, they value that euro that they work so hard to build and they understand what it took to earn it. They understand the sacrifices and the time and the energy and the effort they put into it. It might be a little bit different if you're inheriting your wealth or maybe you grew up with, you know, the thing out here is you grew up with that silver spoon in your mouth. So everything was just kind of handed to you. And that's maybe where that whole, as we say, keeping up with the Joneses comes in. And that can be really, really dangerous because, you know, I always say that if you're just focused on comparing yourself, if you're looking at, you know, the, the guy and the, or the girl next to you and being like, oh, wow, look at all that stuff they have, which, right, it's just stuff. How, you have to ask yourself, how important is stuff? You know, one, one day we're all going to pass away and you can't really get buried with your stuff. I've never, ever in my entire life, you know, heard from somebody that was, you know, either really sick or on their deathbed, honestly, and said, oh my God, I wish I had more stuff or oh my God, I wish I, I had more money. Nobody says that. Everybody says, I wish I had more time. I wish I got to do this. I wish I got to experience that. Um, and, and again, I think a lot of our clients, because they are self-made, they are entrepreneurs, You know, they, they work hard and they've put in that time and effort to earn and get to where they're at today. They're pretty good at focusing on their goals. And that's what we help them focus on is, What's your goal? What's important to you? Don't, don't focus on what the other people are doing. Focus on what's important to you and what it's going to take for you to get there. Yeah, I like that approach. And uh, yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very cool. And how many, so you've been uh, active at Navaline for what, 13 years or something? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've been in the industry now for 13 years. 
But my partners and I, we, we came together. We all sort of, you know, worked at different brokerage firms and banks over the years. I'm the youngest of all my partners. And, you know, we came together and actually decided to join forces and uh, create now what, what our business is called as one group together called Navaline Wealth Partners. You know, we launched that back in 2018. Um, but again, you know, yeah, some of my partners have been, you know, doing this since 2002. I've been in the industry since about 2007, you know, great time, by the way, to get into the financial yeah. <laughs> business right before the financial crash, but you learned a lot really quick. So yeah, we've been doing that for a while at this point. We work with about four or 500 families across the entire U S so we have clients in about 30 States. We manage uh, about 350 million, a little bit more than that in assets. So, you know, by no means are we you know, some huge firm where our clients are a number, we actually care about who our clients are and we have personal relationships and we know who they are. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, Stephen, there, there are many firms uh, such as yours in the U.S. or in the world, but for, I mean, you're focused on the U.S., but what, what, what do you think makes uh, Navaline different? Definitely. I mean, one thing's for sure, the way that we've been able to use modern technology, so to blend you know, smart technology with personal service and personal advice, that definitely sets us apart. And, you know, the key is really taking the time to get to know people. Like I was talking about earlier in terms of just building an investment portfolio, you know, a lot of people might, you know, to just generalize for a second, a lot of, uh, you know, investors or a lot of, you know, quote unquote professionals might look at a situation and say, hey, you're really young, so you should be a, a really aggressive investor, and they just put you in that bucket. Or they might say, "Hey, you know, you're you're retired, you're older, you you should be a really conservative investor." And frankly, okay, as a rule of thumb, fine, but frankly, that's just not true. You know, I have plenty of younger clients that do really well for themselves, and you know what? They they're not that interested in making a lot of money from the stock market because they're making a lot of money with their businesses or the work that they do. And they want to grow their money, of course, but they also don't want to take big risks. And in times like we just experienced when the market takes a big hit, they're going to get stressed out if they see their account balances go, go down by so much so quickly. So, you know, that's a really big thing is we focus on getting to know our clients, what's important to them. You know, the other thing is we're not yes men or yes women, right? We're not just here to, to tell our clients what we think they want to hear. As a, as a fiduciary and as a certified financial planner, it's my job to tell my clients what the truth is. And, you know, one of the hardest parts, Jonathan, about my job is when we have to talk about things that aren't fun. So obviously when we're dealing with sickness and with death, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in other times when we're dealing with losses. So, you know, not every business is going to be successful. I've seen several of my clients lose their businesses and go through really tough situations and, you know, go through losses in their family and go through divorce. But if you can focus again on, on what's important to you and why you did these things in the first place and why you got started, it's all about how quick you can get back up and get back on track. And I think that's a big thing that we do for our clients is we tell them how it is. We, we get to know them. We're here to tell them the truth and be a sounding board. And most importantly, when our clients need us, we're there for them to provide them advice that is always in their best interest. Mm -hmm. Now, very good. And uh, Stephen, for example, okay, maybe the listeners, they don't make $1 million or whatever. Most of the, the listeners, they're 
I mean, average Joes uh, making, uh, I mean, middle class people uh, such as myself. And um, what would you, do you have any advice or tips that you can derive from your experience to, let's say, us? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, some of the stuff I've already been talking about, as much as that might be the clients that I work with, mm -hmm. this advice, it really, it's beneficial to everybody. I said it earlier that it's not how much money you make that's most important. It's how you save it and how you spend it. And realize how I'm saying it's how you save and how you spend. So you've always heard that saying that, you know, save, you know, save, you know, X percent out of every dollar you make. Uh, that's, that's what you have to do. If you have a mindset that everything you earn, you're automatically paying yourself first. You're automatically saving first and you prioritize that. That becomes a, a really, really positive habit that's going to help you on your financial journey. So what inevitably ends up happening is you'll start earning more and it kind of becomes a game, I, at least for me and I think for a lot of other people, it's like a game with yourself. It's like, oh yeah, I just earned more money. How much more can I save this year? You know, some people might go, oh, I just earned more money and they're already thinking about spending it. And you got to keep that in check because if all you're thinking about is spending your money for today, you're not going to have a whole lot left over for tomorrow. So the best advice I can give to anybody is to, right, like I said, don't compare, but focus more on what your goals are and set those goals. And by the way, you know what the biggest pitfall is for people when they reach their goals? It's like the race is over, but it's, it's not. So you got to be careful about that. Once you reach mm. your goals, you got to set the next goal. So if your goal was, you know, let's say your first goal was you wanted to make sure that you could save, you know, a hundred dollars a month because you're just getting started with your investing. Yep. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, you look at your investment account and you're like, oh my gosh, I have $10,000 or I have $20,000 invested. That's amazing. You got to remember you did that. And as you start earning more and you, know, you, you advance in your career, maybe you can start saving $200 a month. Before you know it, you might be saving $1,000 or more a month. And as long as you're not adjusting your lifestyle too quickly, right? I'm not saying you can't go out with your friends and you can't go out to dinner or you can't get that cup of coffee. But, you know, if you just all of a sudden, you know, make a little bit more money and then say, okay, I'm buying that new car right away. Well, then you just totally got rid of all that money that you were making because you've now already spent it. And you got to be really, really careful with that. Uh, and the good thing that you mentioned is that it can start with as little as a hundred euros or dollars a month. So it, it's a small step actually for, for most people because, okay, let's say you get a raise and you get, uh, I don't know, 150 euros uh, per month extra. Well, it's easy to put either the whole amount on the side or maybe a hundred, depending on your goal. But it's easy to to just start with that, and then the next raise you increase by the same percentage, and then it goes on and on. And it, what I like to to say, it's it's effortless because if you get a raise, it, that's the easiest case. Because let's say you put a hundred euros, you get a hundred fifty euros raise, and you say, well, look, I'll I'll put a a hundred more. It's a hundred you never seen before. So then you you automatically start to save 200 and, and more and more, and you still have 50 euros to do whatever you want with it. And then it, it continues on. So throughout your career or your life, it's just, you have to do it and it's a small effort. So that, that's why it's great. And I like that advice, uh, Stephen. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I'll be really honest about it. I got started just like most people did. The first time I started investing I mean, I started investing when I was pretty young. Believe it or not, I was 13 years old. Oh, wow. The first time I started investing, yeah. Um, 
you know, I took a little bit of a break. I I made some pretty dumb decisions when I was a kid and I spent money on, you know, I, I turned 16. I got my driver's license. I spent money on cars. I look back at it. That was a waste. I wish I didn't do some of that. I spent money on other things that I enjoyed doing and, and that's all well and good. But when I started investing and saving more consistently, when I said to myself that that's my goal because you know, I want to be able to buy a house and I want to be able to retire comfortably and I want to be able to invest in myself and start my business. It kind of became easier and easier. So yeah, you know what? When I started investing, I wasn't even saving a hundred dollars a month. It was more like $50 a month, five zero. That's mm-hmm. how I started. And, and to see where I'm at today, uh, you know, I'm maxing out my 401k every year. I've got other money that I'm investing. And that's because every time I'm earning more money, I've now developed that mindset that anybody can develop. Seriously, anyone can do it. That, like you just said, as you start earning and making more money, you're now in that positive mindset, that positive money mindset, where you already know that that next dollar you're going to earn more, you're already saving, you know, 10 cents, 25 cents, 50 cents of every one of those dollars. And, and honestly, it becomes easier the more you make because eventually you start making so much that you go, well, what else am I going to do with it? I'm not, you know, unless you're going to buy a bunch of junk, hopefully you don't. It, it actually makes it that much easier to save that much higher of a percentage as long as you're living within your means. Yeah, uh, great advice and uh, we love the tip. And uh, Stephen, uh, we're, we're, before we close the show, we always ask our guests three quick fire questions. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, uh, Stephen, for uh, yeah coming on the show anyway. And uh of course. And, and uh, yeah, telling a little bit about your experience dealing with the uh, wealthier people, their experience, their, their mindset, and how they deal with taxes, etc. I think it was uh, very great. So uh, let's get on to the quick fire question. Let's do it. And uh, so, Stephen, number one, what is the, well, we, we were talking about investments, but what is the best investment uh, you made so far? Ooh, the best investment I've made so far. You know, honestly, the best investment I've made ever was was investing in myself. I know that might sound a little cheesy, but I really mean it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not easy to start your own business. A lot of people might look at, at folks that have become successful and started business and they go, oh my God, their life is so nice and so easy. I mean, if only they knew the sacrifices you made early on um, to get to where you're at. So yeah. I, I really believe that the best investment I ever made was in my in myself in my own business and taking that risk, really. Mm -hmm. Very good. And um, the number two, what is the best book you can recommend to anybody? And it does not need to be a financial book. Yeah, definitely. You know what? Uh, One of my favorite all-time books, it's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's all small stuff. It's by a, a gentleman named Richard Carlson. He's a PhD. He's a pretty smart guy. Really, really cool book. It kind of helps put you know, some of the things we were talking about today, it's related to that. It helps you put uh, these everyday life challenges into perspective. It helps you think of these problems that you face in life as learning moments. Because like we were saying earlier, every journey begins with taking that first step. So making these small changes over time can really lead to big results. So go check it out. It's actually a really easy read for those of us that don't like reading big, thick books. It's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff by Richard Carlson. Okay. Is it a bit like a habit book, like atomic habits or this kind of books, or is it slightly different? 
Um, you know, I'm not familiar with that one, but yeah, I mean, it's a really easy read, you know, big type, short book, um, and it's not dense at all. I mean, I, I think it's probably at like a, maybe a fifth or a sixth grade reading level. It's not difficult to get through. And, and seriously, it's, it's a very, very good book. So you, you got to check it out, Jonathan. Yeah, but I, I like all this kind of stuff. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I'll check it out, uh, Stephen. Okay, very good. And then what's the last question? What is the best purchase you've made for under $100? my gym membership. <laughs> I, I believe that, um, you know, healthy is wealthy. So, you know, what, what good is it to, to invest and save all this money if you can't enjoy it over a long, healthy life? So, you know, a big part of all this that we didn't get to touch on today is, is your, your mental health and your physical health. So, you know, seriously, my gym membership, it's, it's way less than a hundred bucks, well, at least monthly. It's probably more than that, obviously every year. But, you know, the point being, you know, making that time for yourself. I happen to be a morning person. So I go to the gym every single morning. Um, I think that that makes a huge difference. It's a great way to get your day started, to get your routine started. So, you know, and maybe the gym's not for you. So yoga or Pilates or CrossFit, um, you know, whatever your physical routine is, you know, spend that time and spend that money to invest in yourself and invest in your health because healthy is wealthy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, um, I mean, for me, it's health before wealth. I mean, it's uh, the priority should be your health because, okay, I talk about money all the time here on this channel and uh, it's great, but I'm not a health expert, so I'm, I'm focusing on the money part. But, <laughs> but to me, the, the priority should be your health. Indeed, for the same reason as you mentioned, I mean, well, what's the need of uh, having uh, all this money if you're just lying in your bed because you're diagnosed with some sickness and uh, yeah. Exactly. So very important. And uh, that's the most important. Of course. Okay, very good. And Stephen, so, um, okay, you have your clients uh, with Navaline, but are you also present on social media or where can people uh, read more or find out more about you? I am. Yeah. You know, actually I do some public speaking as well. Mm -hmm. I put out uh, some videos. I, I took a bit of a break, but uh, now I've got a little bit more time that I'll be doing that more. So, you know, feel free to follow and get at me on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at smart money, Steve, the exactly the way it sounds. One word, smart money, Steve. Um, and if you guys have questions, you want to reach out, you just want to connect, uh, feel free to send me a message and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Okay, very cool. And uh, Stephen is a cool guy. So yeah, he'll, uh, he'll definitely uh, be happy to connect with you. And uh, are you on Twitter as well? Uh, you know, I've got a handle, but I can't even remember the last time I was on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, then uh, follow him on Instagram and, uh, and on Facebook. Very good. Very good. Okay, well, Stephen, uh, thanks again so much uh, for spending the time with us today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Thank you. And uh, we'll speak next time. Take care. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I really like this conversation with my pal Stephen. Always a pleasure to talk to him and I actually learned a few things along the way today. So I hope you enjoyed this episode as well and that you learn as well something from this episode. And so before we close the show, here are the key takeaways. Yeah, we started uh, right away with the discussion on the coronavirus. So the coronavirus outbreak is not the first pandemic we will see, nor the last one. A pandemic leads to a lot of volatility in the stock markets, meaning a lot of movements up or down. And Stephen's advice here is to not try to react too emotionally with quick moves. Do not pull out your money too quickly out of the stock market 
or go all in, hoping to buy the dip. Instead, what Steven recommends, and which I agree with, is to keep a steady and disciplined approach and invest over time by dollar cost averaging, which is investing a fixed amount of money on a regular basis. For example, you put $50, $100, $1,000 every month in the stock markets. Another great point I really liked is that he said you invest in companies not because they will be good in one or two months. You invest in them because you believe they will do well for many, many years to come. So yeah, keep a long-term perspective when investing in companies. Yeah, the next point is that yeah, you don't need to be rich to invest in commercial real estate properties. You and I, as retail investors, we can also invest in those companies. And we can do that through investing in companies called REITs, which stands for Real Estate Investment Trusts. So instead of gathering with a few buddies and trying to buy a commercial property yourself, for example, a shopping mall, well, you can do that through these stock-listed companies, through these REITs. I really like them myself as well, because they give you exposure to a real estate market. They're very liquid since they trade on the stock exchange. So meaning you can sell and buy shares of the companies. And to be able to keep their REIT status, they also have to distribute a certain amount of dividends to their shareholders. The next point is something I actually didn't hear before. It was about asset location instead of asset allocation, which I am more familiar with. So the asset location is really to try to figure out which type of tax advantage, tax deferred accounts you can use to minimize the taxes on your investments. Of course, the rules and types of accounts differ in each country. So yeah, if you're going to make, if you're going to try to use that asset location, yeah, consult with your uh, local professional on that. Something that surprised me uh, during this conversation is that some of Steven's clients can earn a couple of million dollars a year, yet some of them still do not feel wealthy. They do not flash uh, fancy uh, cars or houses, nor do they spend their money frivolously. So I asked Steven, yeah, why is that? And then he told me that they made their fortune by themselves. They really value that dollar, that euro for us, and they, they understand the sacrifices behind it, behind building that wealth. So they focus on their goals, not on stuff. And of course, I really liked what Steven said at that point in the conversation, is that he never heard somebody on their deathbed wish they had more stuff or more money. They all wish they had spent more time with their loved ones. And last key takeaway for today, but not the least, here are a few tips on how to develop a positive money mindset. As Steven said, it's not how much money you make, it's how you save and spend it. That's most important. So yeah, he recommends to automate your savings and to increase them when you earn more. And yeah, make it a game with yourself. How much more can I save with each pay increase? I also liked what he said about reaching your goals, is that when you reach your goals, well, set the next goal. So as an example, Steven started with saving as little as $50 a month. And this, of course, has increased over time from 50 to 100 to 200. I don't know what it is today, but you can imagine that it has increased over time. So he set the next goal every time. And his message was, if he can do it, or if I can do it, anyone can do it. So start to develop that positive money mindset today. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.